If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 12. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And our text today really marks a transition point in Jesus' ministry, because up, up until this point, Jesus has been traveling around. He, he's done some miracles, and He's going to continue to do that. But up until this point, the disciples have been kind of on the periphery. Uh, we don't really see them a whole lot. Um, he, he does have some interaction with them and, and things like that. But, but today, Jesus is going to choose the 12 apostles. And if you followed along in our study, you, you know that Jesus has already called Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother uh, John and, and Matthew. And they've all uh, left everything they had and followed him. And the Bible says that, that they, they did that. But from this point on, Jesus singles out them and some other men to be his, his inner circle, so to speak. They, they are the 12 apostles. They are the foundation of the church. He's going to commission them uh, to, to go out and, and, and preach and teach and perform miracles on his behalf. Their teaching is what, uh, is what forms the foundation of the church that we're part of today. And so uh, we're going to pick up in, in Luke chapter 12, or Luke chapter 6, rather, in verse 12. And those of us who have grown up around the Bible, we've grown up around the church, this doesn't seem like a big deal. Because we are familiar with the apostles. We're familiar with the disciples. We know that Jesus had them. We know that, that um, well, really, it's just, it's just familiar. But understand, what happens in our text today is it's really, um, it's, it's, it's kind of odd for that time. Because back then, it was not an odd thing to, to become a disciple of somebody. To become a disciple, a follower, a learner from a rabbi. And rabbi means teacher. The odd thing about this is, most of the time, people chose the rabbi that they became a disciple of, but here, Jesus is the one that does the choosing. So, um, so what I want us to do today is I want us to see the example that Jesus sets in prayer. I want us to look a little bit at the apostles that Jesus chooses, and then I want you to see the supernatural unity that Jesus brings. So if you found Luke chapter 6, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 12 and read down to verse uh, 16. It says, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is right at the beginning of the text in verse 12, it says that Jesus set the example in prayer. He set an example for us in prayer. Verse 12 says that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray. Now, as we read through the gospel, we see that Jesus was a man of prayer. Often he would go off by himself. The Bible would say that he would get up early in the morning and he would go off to a secluded place to pray. That, that, that he would send his disciples across the lake, but he himself would stay back and he would pray. In this case, he went to the mountain and prayed to the Father all night. So we see that Jesus uh, was, was a man of prayer, and that's not surprising but it is inspiring. It is inspiring that Jesus was a man of prayer. Now, while, um, now before, we, before we consider his example, many times when we look at this, people get hung up on a question or a couple of questions. And maybe you had these as you've read through the Bible. Uh, the first is why. Why did Jesus, 
who's divine pray. Have you ever thought about that? Here's a member of the Trinity. He's a member of the Godhead. Why in the world did he find it necessary to pray? Related to that, to whom was he praying? Was he speaking to himself? Well, the answer to those questions are straightforward. And I, I just want to touch on those because many times we get stuck on those things and we, we miss what the Bible is teaching because we get hung up on something we have a question about. Maybe you don't do that. I do that sometimes. I, I get so sidetracked on, on this or that that I sometimes miss what the Bible is, is, is declaring to me. But first, why did Jesus pray? Well, I want to ask you this question. What would you expect him to do? Become an atheist and not pray? Of course he's going to pray. He is, he, is, uh, he is a godly man. So the fact that he prays should not, should not shock us. But that doesn't answer the real question of why. Why did he find it necessary to pray? Because he is the incarnate Son of God. So why would he pray? Well, the answer to that question lies in his nature. Jesus was really God. He was truly God. But the Bible tells us he was also truly man. He, he was fully human. He was truly human. Now, in the person of Jesus, they're brought together two distinct natures. One person, two natures. They're brought together both fully human and truly divine. Now, throughout, throughout church history, there have been all kinds of heresies that have grown up, a bunch of misunderstandings about Jesus and his nature. Uh, one, of the, one of the heresies, the misunderstandings about his nature, said that, that Jesus was one man with one nature. He was, he was one man, and he had one nature. The human and the divine were intermingled. They were mixed together. The creeds say they were confused, not like, uh, well, I don't understand that, but more like they, they, were, they were all mixed up. And so some, some would say, well, he was, he was God that transformed into human. Some would say he was a man that became divine. But all that is a misunderstanding, and frankly, it is a, a, a heresy. Another one of the misunderstandings was that Jesus, because he had two natures, was actually two persons. And again, that is a misunderstanding of the Scriptures. The Bible tells us he was one person with two natures. He was truly human and truly divine. He was a true, perfect Man, he was just like us in all ways except for sin. He had weaknesses like we do. Uh, physically speaking, he got hungry, he slept, and so on and so forth. And as we need to pray, so he needed to pray. And he set an example for us to follow. So, so that we would follow in his steps. So then the question is, to whom was he praying? Well, the answer to that, hopefully you get this right away. He wasn't talking to himself, he was praying to the Father. Jesus was speaking to the Father. Now, again, this is, the, the, there, are, there are many people who are, even if they are Orthodox Christians, they are functional modalists. And what I, what I mean is, many people have in their minds that the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Father. But the Father and the Son are not the same person. They're not the same person. They share the same essence, the same nature, but they are not the same person. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. There are three distinct persons in the Godhead. They share in the, the, the essence, the nature, the being of God. You say, Pastor, that's kind of... That's a, that, 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 right? 
Now, the Athanasian Creed is, is something that was, that was penned back in the 400s. Uh, it says it this way. It says, We worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity and unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually is both God and Lord. The divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal and their majesty co-eternal. Now, there's a lot more that it says, but that's basically a summation of it. That's the Athanasian Creed, if you want to look it up later. Uh, There's also the the Chalcedonian Creed, which touched on this too. Anyway, a study of the Trinity is not the point of this message. But I want you to have that frame of reference, because when we see Jesus praying here, when we see him praying in John 17, the high priestly prayer, and he's, he's, he's talking to the Father, when we see him on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not talking to himself. He is talking to the Father. So Jesus sets the example to pray. But even though this is not surprising that he prayed, it is unique in his prayer this time because he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere else of any other time that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. Now, he would often pray before some big event in his life, but the Bible doesn't ever tell us any other time they spent the whole night. Have you ever prayed all night? I have not, I don't think. And, and frankly, you know, sometimes if you're like me, the, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And more times than I would like to admit, I've fallen asleep praying. I, 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 see, some, I see some nods of, of recognition. If I stop for about five minutes, I'm out. And maybe you're like that too. But listen, this highlights the seriousness of, of Jesus' prayer. He was, he was very concerned. He was, he, he was not anxious, but he was, he was fervent in his prayer to the Father. He was fervent in his prayer about these men that he was going to uh, choose and select to become the apostles. So he sets the example for us in prayer. And the next thing I want you to see is the choice of the twelve. Looking at verses 13 and following. Verse 13 says that Jesus calls his disciples, and then he chooses twelve of those to become apostles. And again, I want to stop here for a second because many times people get mixed up on these terms disciple and apostle. But we see a distinction even in verse 13, don't we? Jesus called the disciples, a, a large group of people, I mean, Lots and lots of people followed Jesus. They were his learners. That's what a disciple means. is somebody who learns from somebody else. All these people were following Jesus, were learning from Jesus. But out of this bigger group of disciples, of followers, he chose 12 to become apostles. Now, an apostle means one who is sent. One who, who goes out with a commission. They have the authority of the one who sent them. Now, the term apostle in the New Testament is used many times. It's even used of Jesus. Say, what? Yeah, it's the use of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Why? Because he was sent from the Father. Okay? So an apostle is one who is sent. And so Jesus takes these, these followers, these disciples, and he chooses 12 of them to set, to set apart as apostles. They were to go out... And, and after his death, burial, and resurrection, they went out, they, they were witnesses, and they laid the foundation of the church. And again, we're part of that church even today. So then every apostle 
was a disciple, but not every disciple was an apostle. Okay, are, are we getting, okay. So, Jesus chooses 12 apostles. Something that you may or may not have noticed when you read through the Gospels is they all give us a list of apostles, but not, not all of them are the same. There are different names in, in, a, in a couple of them. There are some, some things that are constant, though. One thing that's constant is Peter is always listed as number one. He wasn't the first disciple, not the first follower of Christ, but he's always listed as number one, suggesting that he, he had a natural leadership. I mean, he, he was the one that took charge. That was, his, that was his personality. That was his nature. And so he, he was always listed as number one. And the last one that's always listed is Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And I think it's probably obvious why he was last listed number 12. Okay, you don't put him at number one. So the reason that these things are different, these, these lists are different, is because back then, a lot of times they, they spoke different languages. One person may speak Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And so you may have three different names that all mean the same thing, but you have three different languages, and so it's going to sound a little bit different. And so each of them had different names or titles they went by. Sometimes it was just to distinguish between two people in the same group that had the same name. Like there were two Jameses in the group. So you're going to have to distinguish every time you say James, you're going to have both of them saying what if you don't do that. So let's have a, let's have a familiar example. Who's, who's the first apostle that's listed? Peter, right? Now, his name was not originally Peter. What was it? Simon. Now, in Hebrew, it would have been Simeon. So Simeon, Simon, Peter was not a Greek name before this time. Jesus calls him Peter. He's also called Cephas or Kephas, which means the same thing as Peter, but in different language. And sometimes it's a mixture of, oh, and sometimes he's called Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of, and Jonah would be his dad. So Simon, son of Jonah. And so sometimes it's even a combination. So sometimes it's not Simon, sometimes it's not Peter, but it's Simon Peter. So here with just one guy, we have Simeon, Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Barjona, Cephas, Cephas. Six titles, six names, just with this one guy. So when you look at these different lists of, of apostles and you see a couple of differences, that's what's going on. So what I want us to do is I want us to, to, uh, to look at these men just briefly if you want to go in-depth in it, John MacArthur has a good book called 12 Ordinary Men. I commend that to you. We've done a study on that back on a Wednesday night sometime back. But we're not going to go into it in-depth. I just want you to, to take kind of a, an overview. The first man that he mentions is Peter. Now, again, his given name was Simon, Simeon. Jesus gave him a nickname, Peter. Now, Peter means rock. And so... So he, what, what was he like? Well, he was, like I said, he was kind of the take charge type of person. He, he would have had a leadership uh, role probably within, the, within the, the apostles. He was impetuous. Many times his mouth got ahead of his brain when he was talking. And he almost never got anything right when he said something in the Gospels. He was a former fisherman. And uh, can you, I, many times I identify with Peter. Not because I'm, I'm this real type A, take charge uh, type of personality, but because I always say the wrong thing. And maybe you identify with him as well. Uh, he had a brother named Andrew. Now, Andrew was one of Jesus' first disciples. He had been a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God. And so Andrew 
goes and he begins to follow Jesus. He goes and he finds Peter, and, and that's how Peter became a disciple. So anyway, Peter, I mean, sorry, Andrew was also a fisherman, and he would have fit in good on the little house on the prairie because his name means manly. Now, he, he was, his name was not Almanzo, but he, his name, Andrew, means manly. And so, so he was in a fishing business with Peter. James and John are, are almost always mentioned together. They're brothers. James is always mentioned first. Probably he's the older of the two. They, had a, they were in a fishing business with Simon, Peter, and Andrew. They, they, they were a fishing group. And he was the, they were the son of Zebedee and a lady named Salome. Now, Salome, if, if you read through the Gospels, you notice that there are some women that went to the tomb. Salome is one of the ladies that went to the tomb uh, that first Resurrection Sunday. And again, she didn't go uh, to, to welcome the risen Christ. She went to anoint the body. Anyway, they were passionate. They were, they were proud. And we know this because one time, James and John come with Salome to Jesus, and they want special positions in his kingdom. Another time, James and John come to Jesus, and, and, and they, people aren't re, uh, responding the way that they think that they should. And so they say, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? I mean, they are passionate. And, and because of that, Jesus actually gives them a nickname, which I call my own James and John, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. And so, so Jesus gave all kinds of nicknames. So we have... Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and Peter, James and John within this, within this inner circle of 12 they are, the, they are close I mean they're always with Jesus when Jesus would go off by himself there are certain things that only these three got to see the next one he mentions is Peter uh, for some reason the title that MacArthur gives him in, in his book sticks with me Philip the Bean Counter uh, Philip was likely a numbers guy any of you numbers people not me. I, I don't like math. But Peter, or not Peter, Philip, he was the one that whenever Jesus was getting ready to feed the 5,000, he was the one that ran the numbers in his head about how much it would take to feed all these people. Bartholomew is the next one that's mentioned. He and Philip are almost always mentioned together. And the name Bartholomew means Bar is son of, and then the Tholomew, it would be son of, Ptolemy. So, son of Ptolemy, Bartholomew. It's also the name of a man named Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel was from Cana of Galilee. Remember, that's where Jesus performed his first miracle of turning water into grape juice at, at the marriage of Cana. And so, no, it wasn't grape juice, it was wine. So, he, 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 turned, he turned the water into wine. This all happened at Cana of Galilee. Nathaniel, or, Barth, or Bartholomew, would have been, uh, he, he was probably at the least bit uh, prejudiced, maybe a little bigoted, because Philip came to Nathaniel and said, we found the Christ, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And what was, what was his first response, do you remember? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Next one he says is Matthew. Matthew is the tax collector. He's also called Levi. He's the one that wrote the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew. He would have been a hated man. He was an outcast in society because he was a tax collector. He was the one that was working for the Romans, the ones who were in taking over Palestine at that point. They were the enemies 
They were the ones that were levying taxes, and Matthew was one of them that was collecting them. And, he, and the position that he was in, he was taking advantage of people, taking money from them, making himself rich, and working for the Romans. Now, the, the Jews as a whole saw the tax collectors as traitors. So Jesus has somebody that the people would see as a traitor, as one of his followers. The next one, if you look, is a man named Thomas. He's also called in another gospel, Didymus. Both Thomas and Didymus mean the same thing, twin. So Thomas evidently had a brother or sister that he was a twin with. We don't know anything about this brother or sister. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he seems to have been kind of an Eeyore type of personality. Because we always say he's, what, doubting Thomas. Because after the resurrection, whenever the the apostles, the disciples said, we've seen Jesus, he's risen, what did Thomas say? I'll not believe it until I, I see it with my own eyes, I feel it with my own hands. That's, that's the summation of it. And I think it's unfair because we, we give him such a bad time, but all the apostles, all the disciples doubted initially. Another time that, that Thomas speaks up was right before the, the resurrection of Lazarus. You remember Lazarus had gotten sick, he was a good friend of Jesus. Jesus stayed where he was for four days, Lazarus died, was buried. And then he tells his disciples, we're going to go up there to Lazarus. And they say, Jesus, you don't want to go up there because they're trying to kill you up there. And what does Thomas say? You remember? He says, let's go with him and and we'll just die with him. I bet he was a lot of fun at birthday parties. I mean, he, but but we give him a lot of, we give him a lot of, of grief but he's the same one that whenever he saw Jesus, he didn't have to feel the, the, the wounds in his hands and so forth. He declared to him, he said, my Lord and my God. Whenever, when, whenever Jesus was talking about going someplace that was dangerous, Thomas was the one that said, even though he said, let's go and die, he said, let's go. So, so even though we give him a lot of grief, I think some of that is, is undeserved. Next, he, he talks about James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, Alphaeus was also known as Clopas or Cleopas. And, he, and James was likely a cousin of Jesus. He would have been related to Jesus in some way, probably a cousin. And we know that because, uh, well, he, he was also, he, you remember there was James and John, so how do you distinguish this James from that James? He was called James the Less. So probably he was either younger or smaller than the other James. And, and so his mom's name I believe it's John, I think it's 1925 or something like that, talks about the ladies that were at the foot of the cross. And it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a sister also named Mary. You say, now that's kind of weird. But even in, even in our own church a few years ago, when he was still alive, there was a man here named Otis who had a twin named Odie. Otis and Odie. So it wouldn't be unheard of to, to, to have something like that. Some have suggested that, that it wasn't when it says it was um, her sister. Some have said that that's not sister, but sister-in-law. And so Alphaeus or Clopas or Cleopas and Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, would have been brothers. Okay, So it, that, that's possible as well. But anyway, this would have been a cousin, most likely, of Jesus. Then we have Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, Zealot is somebody who's passionate, right? And so somebody, some people look to this and say, well, he was passionate in his, in his declaring the gospel and things like that. And that's possible. But there was also, and I think this is more likely, there was, there was a group in that area called the Zealots. 
Okay, so there were the Essenes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and then there were the Zealots. The Zealots were rabidly patriotic. I mean, they said there's no king but God. They, they, were, they, were, they were religiously conservative, much like the, uh, much like the Pharisees. But, uh, but they hated Rome. They hated Roman oppression. They really hated Herod, all the Herods. And so they actually, some of them at least, got, uh, got a title called Sicari. And, and the reason they got that is because they would conceal a dagger within their cloak. And then when they would see a Roman soldier or some Roman leader, they would try to assassinate them. Okay, so this was like a homegrown terrorist. As somebody has put it, uh, they were Pharisees with guns. Okay, and they were actually, the zealots, were largely responsible for Rome coming in and sacking Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Okay, so we have Simon the Zealot. And last, we have... Uh, oh, next to last, we have James, which is also called, uh, sorry, we have Judas, the son of James. Now, he's also in another gospel called Thaddeus and another gospel called uh, Labaius. Now, this Judas, we, we only have one question from him in the whole gospel account, all of them, one question. He seems to have been the quiet guy. He was the one that was, he, he was showing up. He would, he would work hard. He was faithful, but he didn't, he didn't get a lot of attention. And he probably liked it that way. And we need people like that, don't we? We need those people that are, that are serving. They're faithful. They come. They, do, they, they, they don't need the applause. They don't want the applause. They're essential. They do the stuff in the background, and they're needed. That was this guy. And then last, we have Judas Iscariot. Of course, we know him. He was a betrayer of Jesus. He was a thief. Um, unfortunately... He was a thief, but he was also the treasurer of their group. John's Gospel tells us that, that he, was, he didn't care about the poor, but he, would, he had the money box and he would pilfer the money that would come in for the ministry. And so, so Judas Iscariot was a bad guy. His, his name, Iscariot, we don't know what that means exactly. Um, Ish means man in Hebrew, so it could be man of Kerioth, which was a town. Um, some have suggested that it means dagger carrier, um, but his name has gone down in infamy, right, rightfully so. And so just like you don't hear girls named Jezebel, you don't hear girls or boys named Judas. Okay, so, so these are the people that Jesus has surrounded himself with. And I look at that and I say, Jesus, what are you doing? Right, because these guys are not religious leaders. They're not well-educated. They don't have connections. If they were toys, they'd be on the island of misfits. They were ragtag. They, they, they were, man, they just got things wrong a lot. They were dense. They, they were slow to understand. And yet, those are the people that Jesus chose to turn the world upside down. Now, as we look at them, I, I, I want to follow, uh, close by, by highlighting that Jesus is the only source of true unity. Jesus is the only source of true unity. Because think about it. These guys had all kinds of different personalities. All kinds of different backgrounds. We have fishermen and tax collector and a, a terrorist. I mean, we have all kinds of people. And just think, about the, just think about the natural tension that would have been between Simon the Zealot, who hated everything to do with Rome, Maybe people that he had known had tried to assassinate people. 
It could be before Jesus came along. It could be that he tried to assassinate people. We don't know. You got him in the same group as you have Matthew, the tax collector, the traitor to, to, to the Jewish people that are collecting money for Rome. In the same group. Wow. That'd be, that'd be like having the head of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, in the same group as the head of Hamas. But the Bible doesn't tell us anything about them getting into a fist fight or squabbling. No, they, they, they surrounded, they, they circled around Jesus. They were united around Jesus. Now again, these guys were, were far from perfect. They, they would shoot off at the mouth. They would want to call down fire and burn people up. They are not the type of people you would start a religious movement with. But those are the types of people that Jesus uses. He uses everyday people, common people. You don't have to have a seminary degree for God to use you. You don't have to have the big education. You don't have to have all the letters after your name. You can be imperfect. Thankfully so, because otherwise none of us could be used. And the reason they could do this, the reason they could turn the world upside down, is because they united around Jesus. This stuff with all of the stuff about Rome and their political affiliations and all that stuff, that, didn't, that did not separate them. Their differences in personalities did not separate them. Their different backgrounds didn't separate them. They were united around Christ. He is the only one that is capable of bringing true, lasting unity. And listen, we need unity in our nation. We need it in our church, in every Christian church. We are called as, as a group of believers to preserve the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. We are called to work at this unity. Because if we don't pull together, we'll pull apart. Now listen, Christians won't always see eye to eye. They don't have to always see eye to eye. They don't always have to agree about every little thing. And, and, and you may have different interests, different backgrounds, different skin tones, different uh, positions in, in, in your work. You may like different styles of music. You may have different financial means. Listen, you may have all that stuff. And one faith and one hope of our calling. And if we, if we don't come to him in different ways, the, the poor man and the rich man both come to God the same way, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. And he alone can bring unity. And as the days grow darker, we must be united. Not uniform, but united. We must. We must. And one of the things I appreciate about this church is the unity that we have. And I know that I know it can be undone in short order. All it'll take is somebody to be having a bad day and be short with somebody. All it'll take is for your pastor to misspeak, make somebody mad. All it'll take is for somebody to, uh, to, to, well, whatever it is, say something unthinkingly or harshly, and then somebody holding a grudge, somebody gossip. Somebody whispering, the backbiting. It can be undone so quickly. And listen, no matter, no matter what, we need to remember who it is that we're here for. Why do you come to church? Why do you sing the songs? Why do you serve? Why, uh, who are you on mission for? It's not for us. It's for Him. That's who church is about. It's about Jesus. 
Jesus is the most important. And when we live like that, as, as individuals and as a church, people will notice. People will know there's a difference. I don't know how many times have, I've had people privately tell me, this church is different. This church is different. And I've been in church since before I was born. My whole life I've, I've, I've spent in churches. And I can tell you from my experience, this church is different. We are blessed to have the fellowship we have. And people notice that. And the reason that we have it isn't because of me, it's not because of you, it's not because of the person sitting next to you. It's because we, we have one focus, we have one that we, we, we unify around, and that is Christ. So let's strive to put Him first and unite around Him in all that we do. And as we do that, and as we serve, and as we work for the Lord, be encouraged that Jesus chose the disciples. I mean, sometimes Jesus gives them plain teaching. He says, do you understand what I'm telling you? And they say, no. And, and they, it's just like, I mean, they're, it's like they have blinders on. They can't see it. And I'm encouraged because sometimes I have the blinders on and I can't see it. They're misfits. They're a ragtag group. But listen, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There are only three abilities that God's looking for in anybody that he uses. Availability, flexibility, and dependability. If you have those, God can do amazing things with you. The verse is being available, though. So you have to ask yourself, are you available? Are you willing to serve Christ right where you are? In your context, in your work, in your school, in your family, are you willing to do that? We're not going to do it perfectly. Jesus took these guys that got it wrong so many times and he used them. You want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to, um, I just want to encourage you Are you willing to be served, or not to be served, are you willing to serve, to be used in Christ's service, right where you are? Do you work to preserve that, that unity within the church? Are you holding a grudge against somebody? Unforgiveness, bitterness? Pastor, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Well, all this COVID stuff has changed everything. You're right, it has. It's changed the way things look, but it hasn't changed what God's called us to. That's to serve Him, to be His witness right where we are.
And maybe the thing that you need to, to, to focus on today is, is the example of Jesus. You have some need on your heart, somebody that you are praying for, you've been praying for for years, maybe, for their salvation, for their comfort. If it was important for Jesus to pray, how much more so us? I want to give you just a moment to pray. Maybe the prayer that you need to pray is a prayer of salvation. You know the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've been to church, you've been to Sunday school classes, you've You've read the Bible, you've heard all these things, you know all these things, but you've never turned from your sin, you've never put your faith in Christ. The Bible says, while it's still called today, don't harden your heart, trust in Him. Our Heavenly Father, God, we know that um, the, the life is, is tough. We have so many things that go on that um, uh, things that are happen, happening nationally, internationally, here in our state and our jobs and families and just so much stuff. And God, sometimes we're so busy doing those things that we, we fail to take time to pray. And thank you that we have a moment right now to do that. God, there's somebody here who needs to, uh, to turn from their sin. They need to repent and believe the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. Let them become your child before they leave. Lord, for each of us, I, I thank you that you use imperfect people. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us to be used by you to bring you glory in all things. And God, even as we do so, we know that this nation is divided. Families are divided. Uh, there's just, we're just atomized into our little groups. But God, help us to come together as, as a body of Christ. To not reflect the culture to not be a microcosm of the culture, but to show the world with our love and with our behavior what it means to live like a Christian. God, again, we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.